If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn them up to uh, Psalm 90. <clears throat> Psalm 90. Just while you're turning that up, perhaps just a, a, a word on the reason for this psalm. God speaks through all of his word, of course, so what I'm not, what I'm not doing is thinking, oh yes, the folks at Carrick need to hear this. That's not why I'm coming at Psalm 90. In fact, as I begin to look into this uh, psalm, I discovered that it is quite often uh, preached at funerals, but the application is still helpful and relevant to all of us uh, to, to rightly orientate ourselves to God. But the main reason, I guess, it led me to the psalm is a song that we have been learning in Belturbet uh, Church, Everlasting God. And it's all about the psalm. It's based on this psalm. And I'll apologize now to the music team, or perhaps thank them for all of their hard work, because I had asked them, had you sung this song here? Because I think it, it, it really fits in well. But they hadn't sung it before. But they've been busy learning it. So we'll sing Everlasting God after the service. So thank you very much for all your hard work uh, in learning that. It's a great song. Plus also a CEF friend of ours has a connection with that song. His wife actually actually wrote it. So that's what led me to it uh, in the first place. <clears throat> so the Psalms, as we know, uh, are a unique type of writing in the Bible. And understanding then how the Psalms are written will help us to, to look into it and to apply it then to our own lives. <clears throat> written over many hundreds of years with different authors. Perhaps the most well-known is David, the shepherd king. And of course, the Psalms were the nation of Israel's songbook. Um, they were sang, but also prayed these songs that they can pray and sing together and, and of course each psalm then can be taken as an individual song an individual prayer for us and then within the book of psalms again there are different types so we have psalms of praise psalms of prayer others of sadness laments others are cries out to god for deliverance a helpful quote that I came across was from Athanasius, a fourth century Christian. He said that speak, scripture speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. We can pray these prayers ourselves as we pray to our Father. But most especially, the Psalms can teach us because Jesus prayed them. Jesus prayed each of these Psalms, and he lived each one out perfectly as a man, as he lived here on earth. He fulfilled the truth in each one. So we'll look to Jesus this morning as well. So hopefully by now you've turned up Psalm 90, and we're going to read through the whole psalm. I'm reading from the ESV version this morning, Psalm 90. <clears throat> a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. <clears throat> For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. 
We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Perhaps just pause for prayer at that moment. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray for your help now. By your spirit, Lord, you would help me as I share your word. Help each of us, Lord, as we hear, as we listen to uh, rightly orientate ourselves to you, Lord, and help us to apply your word to our lives. Amen. Do you ever think about or long for or have a desire to be able to achieve something for Christ? Do you believe that the things that we do now in our lives count for something? You know, to be able to, to say at the end of our lives that it was worth it, perhaps worth growing through some suffering or sorrow. Is it worth it? Our Sunday school children in Belturbet a few weeks ago had been learning of the life of Corey Ten Boom, and she herself suffered greatly at the hands of the Nazis, yet she also did great things for the Lord. I wonder, did she think that it had been worth it? Well, the good news is that we can ask God that what we do now will be of eternal significance. And this psalm is a prayer for us in the midst of life's hardships, in the face of discouragements, that we can still live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. And we'll see this in the psalm in three parts. So firstly, we can know God as refuge. Now, I'm not exactly musical, especially when it comes to singing. And in fact, I could share with you that I tried to lead the singing one morning at the church in Belturbet. And as I played the guitar in one key, (laughs) I started to sing. It must have been in another key because no one else was singing. You know it was bad whenever you try to lead and no one else follows. So I'm not very musical. Um, Now I am thankful to, to Jane who rescued me that morning. But music, as I'm led to believe, is written in different keys. You see, you'll have major keys, which are the kind of upbeat, happy, hopeful kind of sounding music. Then music can be written in a minor key, which is more serious and often sounds more sad or somber. And as psalms were meant to be sung, I believe that the opening two verses then of this psalm are in the major key. They're upbeat, they're positive, they're hopeful. And I think it's the orientating point of this psalm as well. It's no accident that it's at the beginning. It will orientate us. It'll give us direction. It will keep God in view, which is essential as we make our way through. Now, Moses, the author of this psalm, we first read of him back in Exodus chapter 2. We'll find out a little bit more from Moses as we go. But here, Moses, he prays, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. 
It's like Moses is the leader of the choir as he leads the nation together to sing that God is our dwelling place. You see, we, there's a corporate nature to it. Here at Carrick Fergus, God is your dwelling place. You together can know and encourage each other. Yeah, God is our dwelling place. And the church worldwide can know. We can say together with a corporate sense that God is our dwelling place. The Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, translate dwelling place as refuge. You know, God is our refuge. God, you have been our safe place. And if we think about Moses just for a moment, we can think about Moses' life as being marked out in a number of places. We think about Moses' story as the baby in the basket and the reeds, then to the royal palace, then to the fields in Midian as the shepherd, and to mountaintop experiences, to the wilderness, and then to the edge of the promised land. In other words, Moses had known times of vulnerability, times of plenty, times of hard work, times of anger, times of blessing, times of waiting, times of God's hand of deliverance, times of submitting to God's plan and not his own. But in all of these times, all of these places, in all of these ways, Moses had known the sure hope that he was able to write that God was his place of safety and refuge. In all of these times, whether good or bad, God was his safety and refuge. Moses was rightly orientated, wasn't he, to God? You know, maybe he could have been tempted to think, you know, maybe those days back in Egypt when everything was at hand, he had everything he needed Maybe he could have been tempted there to think, well, no, that was pretty good. But no, he looked forward toward the promised land and not backwards towards Egypt. But this psalm too, remember, it would have been sung many years later by the nation of Israel, even after they had been taken into captivity, into Babylon. Yet the same prayer would have kept them orientated to God as well. They could know for certainty, even in that difficult time in captivity, that God was their refuge, their safe place for all generations. And how is it then they can trust? What gives them this confidence? Because in verse 1 we read that he is the one who formed the earth, this all-powerful creator God, the one who is everlasting to everlasting. Of course he is their refuge. So what does it mean for us then to pray, eternal creator God, that you are our dwelling place? Well, we each live in a context of our own. Some will know a place of comfortable living at the moment, like the palace. Maybe you do live in a palace, I don't know, but you know what I mean? There's a time of comfort perhaps at the moment. Perhaps others are feeling vulnerable right now, alone, in that wilderness type situation where it just seems to go on and on, difficult struggles, but we can know that God is our dwelling place, our refuge. Sometimes it may be seen, oh, it's just easy to say. It is easy to say, but it's true. God is our refuge. Keep saying it. Keep reminding yourselves. Keep reminding each other. God is our refuge. God is our refuge, our safe place. We have to hold God up as our true God and forsaking all others. The enemy would have us putting anything else in the place of God. 
We all look to other places to satisfy us. Because if God is not our true refuge, something else will be. Here you can take your pick. Let me confess a false refuge of mine. Oftentimes I can think that wealth can provide that refuge. I think, oh, Simon, if you just had 100 euro more, well, maybe we're back in the north, 100 pounds more, I can think, well, yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Simon, if you had 1,000 pounds more, yeah, I could do a wee bit more with that, couldn't you? Simon, if you had 10,000 pounds more, oh, you could do plenty with that. Simon, if you had 100, can you see where I'm going? The deceitfulness of wealth, that if I would think that if I had any extra wealth, it's going to bring me the security But it's a lie of the enemy. It's only God is our refuge, our true refuge. Yours may be different. Try using the words, if only, to discover perhaps what your heart might be telling you as a false refuge. If only I had a better relationship with such and such. If only I had better health. If only I had... These are false refuges. Now, it's good to have good relationships restored. Money is fine. But God should be the orientating point of our lives. He is our true refuge. We need to put our refuge in him. Only trusting in God gives us that security, that dwelling place. Acts 17, 28 says, For in him we live and move and have our being. It's in him when we are in Christ. Trusting in God is our refuge. And from that place then we can move forward. That our lives can count for something We can serve from this place. We are significant. You are significant when you're moving forward from that place of being in God. And of course, another who knew this dwelling place was Jesus, of course. This psalm meant something to our Savior and was most perfectly prayed by him. Jesus himself in Luke 9 says, Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So Jesus would have known this uncertainty in this world, in his circumstances. So it would have been great comfort to know that even though these physical circumstances were uncertain, that his refuge was in God. He knew he could do God's will. And what a reassurance to him. Reassurance to us, to the church, as we pray this psalm together, that we know God as our refuge. This world is not our home. Our dwelling place is with the eternal God. Now, something of a caution. If we're not rightly orientated to God, if we're not rightly orientated to God, then these next verses that we're going to go through are difficult. There's despair. There can be despair. There can be heartache and disappointment. The second point, then, is that we will face God's wrath. See, if we begun the song with the major key of, of our hope in God then this section is in the minor key. It's more serious. As Moses directs the people to, to God and how God rightly acts towards them and us as his creation. In verse 3, God says, Return, O children of man. Man is the word for Adam. So we could say, Return, O children, uh, return, o children of Adam. But to return where? What's he talking about? Return to the dust that you are made from. 
This is Genesis language. And then verse 5, uh, my, the ESV translation says, God sweeps man away like a flood. More Genesis language. God is present at the beginning of our lives and will be present at the end. We die. And for Moses, during the years in the wilderness, he would have been with the entire generation of people who had left from Egypt. And he witnessed them die in the wilderness. Deaths are the, rightly the result of the curse of sin. God is acting justly and rightly toward their sin. But of course, the curse doesn't end there. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men. That's you and I, because we have sinned. Jane used a really simple illustration with some of the children during an assembly recently. As she placed dominoes up that represented the generations from Adam. Each of us are represented. And of course, as Adam fell, we all fell. We all have this problem of sin. We are under the curse. There is death. There is sadness, grief, and loss, and death that will come to us all, even as we experience the loss of our loved ones. Jesus himself knew this with the death of his friend Lazarus. Death is sad, but it is an inevitable fact of everyone's life. Keep orientated to God. We must keep orientated to him. Moses, his prayer leads the people in the reality of death, but also in the passing nature of our lives. He gives two pictures that our lives are like a dream, something short-lived and quickly forgotten, and then like grass as well, this brief moment that it has. We can sometimes use the expression, oh yes, time is on our side, but it's never on our side when it comes to our mortality. Even the Israelites, their 40 years in the wilderness was just a moment even our lives, if we knew how long they would be, they're just a moment. As hard as it can be to think about it sometimes, God has graciously given us these words in the Bible for us to consider. It's not hidden, it's not a secret, but think again. Are you rightly orientated to God? Is he your refuge? And as if we hadn't been brought low enough already, in verse 7, Moses and the congregation sing, for we are brought to an end by your anger. As well as seeing the generation die in the wilderness, Moses witnessed God's wrath and anger towards the people when God brought a deadly plague of snakes against their people. What did he do that for? Was it for their extreme uh, immorality and idolatry? Well, no, it it was for their grumbling. They were complaining, but brought God's wrath. The complaining against God is serious. However, God's wrath is not like the angry dictator or a short-tempered parent. God's wrath towards us is fair. Not to punish us, but to point us back to him, to teach us. Whenever we encounter God, we can see our sinfulness. He loves us. He wants us to direct him, direct us to him. I was thinking of Isaiah, whenever he encountered God in the temple, he said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He saw himself in the light of God. God wanted to direct him. Remember, let's keep ourselves orientated to God. In verses 9 to 12, again, leads us to look honestly at how brief 
life is, even a long life as the, the 70 or 80 years in the ancient world would have been, yet their span is full of toil and trouble, soon gone with a sigh. And Moses again and the Israelites would have known their life through ups and downs in the wilderness. Our lives are the same. The things that come at us, often things that we can do nothing about, you know, that didn't cause for ourselves, but just seem to come at us. The attack of the enemy, you know, the, just the hardness of life. Things are difficult because we live in this fallen and broken world, a world that is against God. These things can cause us to sigh with heavy hearts, sickness, other people's actions towards us, even financial loss can come at us. Sometimes difficult things can just seem to explode at us from out of nowhere and then are gone. Others are more persistent, just seem to be continually pressing, wearing us down in the background. Other things that come at us just seem to try to lure us and to tempt us away. Things are difficult in this life. The word span in verse 10, or perhaps your translation says the best of them, carries a sense of pride, you know, that we can have in our days. People want their best life now, don't they? They just want all the goodness now, no struggles. They want to live for their bucket list. Maybe there are some people in this life who will get through unscathed. Things always seem to go well for them. But death will not leave them untouched. How does that leave you feeling? A bit like God is out of control? Listen to the words of John 15. John 15, from verse 18. Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus has prepared us for this. He has told us that life would be difficult, that we will have these hardships. This is an encouragement. This is a reassurance of your faith. When things are difficult, you say, oh yes, Jesus told us it would be. This is good news. We can take encouragement from this. This is an encouragement to me. Keep orientated to God. Verse 12, I think, is a turning point for us in this section. We can live in the light of death. Moses' prayer does direct us to teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. A heart of wisdom that would um, ask us to ask for a heart of humility. You know, if, if we hadn't been orientated towards God, our true and eternal refuge, then the previous verses would have been totally hopeless that our lives would have been brought to an end under God's just anger. It could lead to despair. It could lead to doubting God as a refuge. We could end up living for our lives now to fulfill our bucket list, taking pride in our earthly achievements, and then not living for God's kingdom. I mean, Jesus is the, is the one, the only one who perfectly numbered his days with a heart of wisdom. A wisdom not to make his life better, but a wisdom to live in light of the cross. Jesus prayed to his Father, yet not my will be done, but yours. 
Jesus lived perfectly. He accepted his death, even death on a cross, for us who would believe. I wonder, will you believe in Jesus this morning? How he lived through the hardships in our world. He took the wrath of God in your place and mine. We don't deserve to be rightly orientated to God. Rather, we should be punished for going our own way. But it's only through Jesus that we can come to know him as Savior and be rightly orientated to God. And then we can go on and achieve something for Christ. So let me look at my last point with the final verses. Hopefully this, these last points will help us to live in light of the valley of the shadow of death. In verse 13, God's covenant people now pray, Return, O Lord. How long? This is a question about God's covenant to his people. And the question behind it is, will the covenant God be faithful to the promises to his servants? Will God fulfill his promises? His covenants made to Noah and Abraham and Moses and David as they pray to God to be merciful, to satisfy them with his love, to make them glad, to show his work. They pray to God to put his favor on them. But as they're praying and asking, they're waiting, waiting for the one who can sustain them. And they call out to God to fulfill his promises. And of course, that we know that he does in Jesus. All of God's promises are fulfilled in him. We can have confidence in God and his love. He is our refuge. He deals justly and fairly with us. Where Moses failed to bring the people into the promised land, Jesus fulfills. He is the one who will bring us safely to our promised home. Jesus is the greater Moses. But even with the covenant promises fulfilled in Jesus, there is still some tension because we are waiting, aren't we? We are still waiting. However, because we have hope in the promise-keeping God who deals fairly with us, we can now pray and ask God to establish the work of our hands. But again, Moses is encouraging the people to pray together, especially those who are downhearted, downcast. Listen to the prayer of encouragement. They pray to God, supply the wisdom. Have pity. Satisfy us. God, we want to rejoice. Let it make us be glad. Show your work. Show your glorious power. They're directing their prayer to God. I think we need that encouragement as we pray, don't we? We can pray for this encouragement as we wait in our lives. Perhaps you have been anxious about your life, perhaps even about death, and perhaps something in between. Maybe you've had bad health for some time, an ache or a pain that never seems to go away. Let God satisfy you rather than grumbling, grumbling perhaps. Know that even in your affliction, God is the one who can make you glad. Turn to him. That's an achievement in this life. That's something that you can do is glorify God even in the midst of the difficulties. Perhaps you're caring for a loved one at the moment. Maybe you're tempted to despair. 
maybe self-pity. Let God be the one you rejoice in, even in the midst of it. You can know gladness all of your days. It says, satisfy us all of our days, even in the midst of things that you're going through. I wonder, will you maybe see this need in others and be moved to encourage each other to satisfy us, that God can satisfy us? Maybe there's a difficulty you know someone's going through. You could remind them, encourage them, God is the one who can satisfy us. Ephesians 6, 2 is a good encouragement and a challenge as well. It says each of us should carry each other's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens while carrying our own load as well. This is the work of our hands that God can establish for each of us. Good fruit in our lives. Maybe you see it in other people already. Maybe you see someone who's so full of joy. Or perhaps you see someone who's going through something really difficult and you wonder how they're doing it because they're rightly orientated to God. Encourage them. Tell them. And you can see that in someone else's life as well, how they're able to know that God is their refuge. You know, if you know God is your refuge, if you're trusting in him, you know, we can then humbly admit that God has given each of our days to us as a gift from him. You can know the favor of God upon you. No matter who you are or your circumstances, you are significant. You can achieve something for God, that your life is significant. Pray that God would establish the work of your hands. I wonder, do you believe it? Do you believe that our, our lives can count for something in this life, even though we may be living under Clouds of difficulties. Our lives can count for something. They can, but not from our own strength, from God's, because we need to ask him to establish it, don't we? But again, not for our sake, for his name's sake, that we establish the work of our hands for his name's sake, for his glory. And as we wait with the days that he has given, let's continually check our orientation. Are we orientated to God are we trusting in him? Is he our refuge? Is he our strength? Is he our dwelling place? Because let me just remind you as well, if you haven't made God your dwelling place, then you're heading in the opposite direction where all your efforts in this life will count for nothing. Come to God today through Jesus. Live your life for him and know that he can be your dwelling place. Amen.